Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life, episode 61, season 2020 on the way. It's been a while since I recorded one of these things. I, uh, I took the better half of the pandemic off. Last recording was, I think, May with Michael Nania, and haven't done anything since then. And for a couple reasons. One, had some technical issues with my computer and had to get that stuff straightened out. A bit of procrastination on my end, so no excuses there. But also... I've just really been more uninspired by football than I've been in my entire lifetime. The beginning of the pandemic, there's a ton of negativity around the whole league, whether or not it would even happen. That kind of cloud stayed over the entire thing for the better portion of the summer, training camps and all that. And then when it finally got underway, you're talking about training camps that nobody's going to, that I don't have access to, to see a ton of the video, the clips. I felt more disconnected from the team than I ever have. And I didn't feel like I had enough you know, evaluation on my own end to really put out a quality product. And, you know, just a pandemic year. It's been a little strange, but the Bills-Jets game, week one, while it wasn't pretty at all for the New York Jets, I watched that game and I said, listen, I, f- I watched it. I saw the players on the field. I saw it all again. Boom, a million thoughts in my head, right back to where I was, connected to the team, was like, let's get this thing figured out. And so I am now recording this thing in one take, I used to do it in like eight or nine takes, take pauses here and there. And I don't have that luxury anymore with the new program that I'm using. So we'll see how this thing goes. Bear with me as it's a a bit of a new process for me. And I'll probably try to take some strategic pauses here and there. Just catch myself. But yeah, I look forward to this season. I'm going to be doing a podcast after every single episode for the remainder of this season. And we're starting off on a low note with this Buffalo Bills game. But early in the season... 15 more games to be played. A lot of positivity coming. Uh, You might not want to hear it. You may not be feeling it. But we got to try to be positive for as long as we can. One game does not mean everything. Not at this point in the season, at least. Before I get into everything, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It can be found anywhere podcasts are found. This podcast is run through SB Nation. And this is part of the Gangrene Nation podcast. So if you look up Gangrene Nation podcast, you'll find this one. The podcast by Brandon Conte's alike and yeah you can also find these on gangrenenation.com where they are posted weekly all right um i also have a twitter at jets underscore dan tons of fun follow engage whatever you want all right so today i'm going to talk about a bunch of stuff going to keep a similar format to what we did last year i'm going to change a few things up i will be implementing the stars of the week more regularly and we're going to keep tally of who gets them each week so we're going to do Offense, defense, special teams, star of the week. And I understand that, especially like on special teams, some weeks it's really hard to find a star of the week, but we're going to force it. And, you know, worst case scenario, we'll give it to, we'll find a guy. But um, we're going to do stars of the week. We're going to keep track of them, who's got them. And we're going to do a doghouse for each week. We're going to find whoever really got under our skin or played a horrible game or deserves to be put on blast for their performance. They will uh, get tallied as well. And we'll keep track of that as the year goes on. And so I look forward to adding those things in. But other than that, we're going to do some team stats. We're going to do regular old what's on tap, pit stop at the cooler. And then we're going to talk about the division, 
you know, the team we played against, we're going to talk about the position groups on offense, position groups on defense, special teams. I've got a father time section where my dad gives a, a little bit of his weekly thoughts, a small little article or, or script thing that he writes on it. And then we're going to do a brief preview of the San Francisco game coming up next week. And that's basically it. You know, um, these podcasts are fluid. I'm going to try to stick to this structure as best I can for the remainder of the season, just to give it some, you know, structure and everything. But if there are changes that you want to see certain areas that you think are a bore, or you want to see more of this, less of that, whatever, just let me know. I can tinker with this thing as much as I want. There's nobody else here. It's literally only me. So whatever you want to do, we can do it. All right. So let's get in to the New York Jets Buffalo Bills game where the Jets lost 27 to 17 in pretty bad fashion. I mean, it's the same thing as every year. The season begins, and right before week one, you've got more optimism than ever. And you're thinking to yourself, who knows what could happen? What if the stars align? What if the Sam Darnold to Perriman connection? What if the offensive line clicks? What if Le'Veon? You have a million things in your head that, like, if it goes this way, things will be great. Then you play one game, and it finally gets put to the test. Pandemic year, no training camp, no preseason. Everybody's a little bit rusty, but it's clear that the Jets are more rusty than the Bills. And the Jets come out here flat and play a pretty bad, uninspired game. Sam Darnold looked uncomfortable all game. The offensive line was all right, but the holes weren't huge in the running game. It was improved. Um, it wasn't amazing. The receivers felt like they couldn't get open. We also didn't feel like we even had good receivers on the field, so it was kind of like depressing there to see that. Some issues early with drops. And then defensively, just playing flat. Like, you know, I don't know if it's the Jamal Adams factor or not, but they don't have that ego, that attitude, that intensity, or the fire, really. It was just a bunch of guys tackling kind of poorly, playing a little slow, and it felt it felt really flat, like they were missing energy and excitement, and possibly it's because there are no fans. Possibly it's because they're not playing well and they're getting down on themselves. One way or the other, they got to get this thing figured out because we can't keep playing like this for the rest of the season. It was tough to watch, and we don't know how good the Bills are right now. Most people assume that this is a pretty good playoff, possible division champion type of team that could potentially make a run in the playoffs. So at this point right now, yes, the Jets are playing a good team. But there's a lot of year to go, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of evaluation to be made on all these teams. You know, the Bills are no division champions yet for beating the Jets like this, 27-17. I mean, they played a pretty good game, much better than us, but they had issues. They still have stuff they got to work out. But when you look at the team stats, it's pretty lopsided. I mean... Especially for the first, you know, third of the game, the Bills dominated the Jets. I think at one point it was like 19 first downs to one in favor of Buffalo. I mean, they were up like 21-0. It was really ugly. Um, at the end of the game, you've got some garbage time. The Jets get seven points in the fourth quarter to make it 17. Um, they still never got up there high enough to, to keep up with the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, we're going to look at the team stats here, and it's going to be kind of obvious. So when you look at total first downs for the team, the New York Jets get 15 Bills double them at 31. So right there, you're like, okay, the Bills are moving the ball more effectively, and definitely they did earlier in the game even more. Total plays, just being on the field, the Jets had 53 offensive plays. The Bills had 81. I mean, again, that's just part of it. That's moving the ball. That's picking up first downs. And when you look at time of possession, right there in line. 18 minutes for the Jets, 41 minutes for the Bills. I mean, they're basically doubling us in these categories. We need to get better on third down where we were 4 for 11 versus the Bills 7 for 14. I mean, they're 50%. We're struggling right there on 33%. we got to pick up third downs. Part of that comes from having easier third downs. How about not having third and eight, third and seven? It felt like we were consistently, 
like last year at third and eight, third and seven. It, it's funny because it actually feels like we picked up right where we were last year. And it's disappointing because you come in here with so much excitement and enthusiasm. And then you watch the game and you're like, oh, yeah, OK, no, we're the we're the same team. This is the same sort of thing going on. It's time to improve. Game one was rough. Total yards, 254 for the Jets, 404 for the Bills. I mean, we rushed the ball for 52 yards. I was really looking forward to trying to see this new offensive line, hopefully finally making some big old holes for the running backs. We had some injuries in the running game. We had some lack of holes. We were down early. There was never there was never any flow to this game or rhythm for the Jets offense. So we never really got into something where it was like, you know, picking up yards, picking up first downs, getting to run the ball. We didn't ever have that luxury. It felt like we were constantly in a position where we had to throw on third down and just try to continue the drive. Couldn't get it and then punt it away. Um, we got into the red zone two times. We got one score, and that was all right. Uh, penalties, the Jets had nine for 95 yards. Again, losing the penalty battle. The Bills had seven for 80 yards. It's week one. Not only are the refs rusty, the players are rusty, people are holding. It's a little tougher than usual, right? Not in midseason form yet. But again, just like last year, the New York Jets have more penalties than the opponent. The Bills came in slightly better than the Jets. And we had some big penalties, too, some pass interferences and some uh, some tough spots that really hurt us. You know, they did, too. I'm sure they'd take theirs back. But penalties have to get better. You can't get nine every game. you got to get those numbers down. Turnovers, Jets had two. Bills had two. One came from a fumble. The New York Jets, Chris Herndon. The other came from an interception that was poorly thrown by Sam Darnold. The Bills had two fumbles by Josh Allen. He's still making mistakes, having trouble holding on to the ball. So those things... Uh, when it was all said and done, led to 27-17. The Jets are 0-1 now. The Bills are 1-0. I guess we can potentially make the argument that the Jets were away in this game and the Bills were home. So maybe they win the home game, we win the home game. But when you think about it, you're really not changing time zones. There's no fans. There's not that much that goes into it. We just are trying to we're trying to hold on to something. Try to grasp at straws here. So that's basically what we got for team stats. I mean, it was apparent everybody that watched this game, that the Jets were way worse than the scoreboard. Look, 17-27, they lose by 10. You're thinking to yourself, eh. And at the end of the game, if you tuned in third, fourth quarter, you think to yourself, there was a moment where the Jets potentially could have made a run. There was a bad fumble by Chris Herndon that I mentioned that, you know, killed the momentum and stuff. But we did score, force a three and out, get the ball back, and then potentially had an opportunity to get within three points of the Buffalo Bills. And that would have been awesome just to see them, you know, at least get in that position where it's like, all right, we're one score down. Can we do it? And just get kind of the adrenaline going for the team. But we never quite got there. And then Tyler Bass hit a field goal, and, you know, it was all she wrote. Um, tough game. Tough game. But when it comes to tough games, best thing you can do is take a pit stop at the cooler for a little bit of what's on tap. Sorry, what's on tap is back, and today I am drinking another IPA, getting right back to it. I've actually been slowing down on these bad boys. Um, I don't know. I just started, like, thinking about, I think I mentioned this last year. I started thinking about the calories in these things, and they're, like, 400 calories each or something. And I mean, how, on, how long can I go living like that? So I tried to switch to, like, just neat, hard alcohol, you know, two-finger pours, things like that. But uh, today I said, you know, why not? Let's see what we can fish out of the back of the fridge. And I got a Sloop Brewing Liquid Sorcerer IPA. I'm sorry, it's Liquid Sorcery IPA. Store cold, drink fresh. From Sloop Brewing Co., which is in New York. So let's go Jets, New York Brewing. And uh, it's really good. It's a nice, light, sweet, hazy 6%. One pint India Pale Ale. 
It's made in Hopewell Junction, New York, and Hampton, New Hampshire. So nice northeast thing. The northeast, you know, CT, New England, New York. The beer scene is incredible right now. I love East Coast IPAs, East Coast beers, and this is just another one. It's getting to the point where it's like there aren't special ones anymore that I've heard of, and like have, there's just like another five on the rack every time you go to the package store it's like what are these now and so you see one by a brewing company that you trust like sloop see liquid sorcery you try it and you're not disappointed you know yeah super light super drinkable it's only six percent so it's on the lighter side of those hazy ipas but if you're looking for something it kind of reminds me of their super soft which is a similar kind of flavor to it and it's good this is a 16-ounce tall boy, and that's what we're going with today. So that is what's on tap. And now we're going to take a look, quick look at the division before I move into the Jets. But first, commercial. All righty. So now let's take a quick look at the division. Four teams, Jets, Dolphins, Patriots, and Bills. The Patriots beat the Dolphins this week. I believe they won by 10. The New York Jets lose to the Bills by 10. So your two division leaders go figure right back where we left off. you got the Patriots at the top, the Buffalo Bills at the top. Jets, Dolphins, both 0-1. We were supposed to be the two weaker teams, and playing division games, we proved to be. I don't think that watching the New England Patriots-Dolphins game, switching over there, I don't think that the Dolphins looked all that impressive. You know, they're waiting for Tua, and they've got some injuries and stuff that they're working out. But that team doesn't look like it's about to make a big run. When you see the Patriots and that style of play, like Cam Newton on the ground was most of their scoring, and you just get kind of worried about that. He, he handled the ball 15 times for the Patriots. Just rushing the ball. And if that's going to be their recipe to winning against a team like the Dolphins, they are going to be in a world of hurt if he gets injured because you're not going to be able to use that sort of game plan with the backup quarterback. And you got Jarrett Stidham or Jake Dolagala or one of those guys waiting in the wing if Cam Newton goes down. I mean, I think when you look at it, the Dolphins, it's week one, so we've just evaluated one single game. But the Dolphins aren't there right now as of week one. They're not ready to make a push for the playoffs. The Patriots, they might be, but it's all so fragile with that Cam Newton running the ball 15 times a game and what could happen if he gets injured. And then you've got the Buffalo Bills, and while they handled us pretty easily, there's a lot of season to go. And Josh Allen, he threw 312 yards in this game, and he had a good performance, but those fumbles, I mean, he's still a little bit reckless with the ball. Those are things that can lose games. I'm not going to say that the Jets are going to win this division, but I don't look around and say that there's one team that is just far and away better than everybody else. The Bills were better than the Jets on this day. I believe that this is the worst, one of the worst games the Jets will play this year. I truly believe that. The Bills come in with a similar unit. They're ready to play. The Jets come in with a bunch of changes, young players. They're not ready to go. Go figure. Are, are any of us surprised that this New York Jets team wasn't well-equipped in midseason form week one without a training camp and, and preseason? I don't think we could be surprised by that at all. I was expecting this team to come out flat, and they did. But I do think as the year goes on, if the offensive line can get into a rhythm, if the defense can figure out what its identity is and who the players that are supposed to you know, we're still benching cornerbacks trying to figure out who's supposed to be starting out there. we got a long ways to go. But as we get there and we get better, I don't think we're that far off. So potentially light at the end of the tunnel. But right now, Bills and Patriots want to know, Jets and Dolphins, 0-1-1. So now let's talk about the New York Jets, specifically their offense, most specifically their quarterback play, 
from one Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold is a guy that I'm so excited for to see this year, right? We've had two seasons. He's never played a full one. He's finally ready. Second year in the offense. And I'm thinking sky's the limit for him. I got a $100 bet with my buddy Ryan that Sam Darnold throws 4,000 yards this season if he plays a full 16 games. I believe that he will be the second quarterback in Jets history, only to Joe Namath, to throw for 4,000 yards in a season. I'm very confident in this. But this performance in this game was dreadful. I mean, whatever steps he was taking forward at points in his career, he looked worse today. He looked like he regressed from where he was last year. And it's interesting because Sam Darnold, some of his best performances as a Jet came very early on. It wasn't like he started really slow and then incrementally got better until now he's pretty good. He's just shown flashes here and there. Really good games, really bad games. Some of them early on in his career, some of them later. Sometimes it was after an injury. Some, you know, There was a bunch of different things, but it didn't really make sense. Why today? Why against the Cowboys after an injury? Is he great? And then against a team like the Bengals, he can't get anything done. Up and down with him. And you were thinking coming into this year be a little bit more comfortable but he was far from it footwork was a mess decision making i mean that interception that he threw where he just heaved it off of his back foot it was the same thing we were talking about last year he's talking about setting your feet not throwing from positions like that not trying to play hero ball and making the right reads i mean jameson crowder a jump ball with three defenders on him down the field 30 yards that's not a great recipe for success and he's got to take those plays out another thing that drove me crazy with him was the the run out of bounds where not only did he have a receiver open downfield, but he was rolling out with a defender chasing him, and he's outside of the pocket. At any point, he can throw the ball away and net zero yards. But instead of that, he carries it, tucks it under his arm, and runs out of bounds for net negative five yards. It doesn't make any sense. He's too good of a player, or he should be good enough of a player, and he's been playing in the league for too long for mistakes like that. I get that it's week one, but come out, and you got to be ready. You can't be running out of bounds the ball and losing five yards when you could just throw it away. Those are things like that, just mental lapses that they really kind of shock you and that you're like, what is happening? It looks like we're watching Geno Smith and Mark Sanchez play all over again with this decision-making. So some of that stuff's got to change. The other thing that bothered me, he didn't ever look comfortable. I think that he was under pressure in this game. The offensive line isn't great. He was definitely nervous behind some new guys. He probably wasn't quite sure where the pressure was, and he's probably still a little shell-shocked from last year. But he was moving around in the pocket sometimes when he didn't have to. He was constantly throwing on the run. He just he never settled in and got comfortable. It felt like the only time that he really played instead of thinking and worrying was at the end of the first half when they were in a no huddle, hurry up offense, just kind of like play, don't think. And that's when he found the most success. So hopefully he does a little bit more of that. End of this game, though, 215 yards. He's on pace for 3,440. So he may not, uh, if you keep playing like this, he may not hit that 4,000 yards. But plenty of time to improve. He's just, he's got to do it. I mean, there were other issues out there as well. Um, we're going to move to the next group. Wide receiver, tight end, his pass catchers. Not a great performance from them, especially early in the game. When this thing started, you had drops from what could have been a drop from Herndon. You had a drop from Crowder. You had some really ugly, messy play from the receivers right away, not getting open, just bad plays on the ball. And it took, I don't know how many how many minutes it took for the Jets to get their first first down of the game and actually get the ball moving down the field. But the wide receiver played in this one. I mean, you got no Denzel Mims, rookie draft pick. You line up your starting guys. Rashad Perriman plays 100% of the snaps. After having swelling in his knee, he actually comes back apparently perfectly healthy for this game. Doesn't help much because the guy has pretty minimal impact on the offense. He catches the ball late in garbage time, finishes with 17 total yards on three catches. 
very quiet performance from him. Outside, the opposite guy, Chris Hogan, played about 90% of snaps. And he's a guy that in training camp, you're like, it's a veteran. We're bringing him in here. Give him a shot. Maybe he can get a little rhythm of Sam Darnold. This guy's not talented enough to be on an NFL field against a defense like the Buffalo Bills. They're not just going to let him go, and he's not going to outrun anybody. He's not going to outjump anybody. He's not going to get any yak on anybody. He needs to wait for, you know, mental lapses in the defense, standing in the pocket for so long, you know, people forgetting about him, kind of the way he made a living playing with the Patriots. It wasn't ever being that number one option. It was just like, oh, shoot, we forgot about Hogan, and he'd get the ball then. And in this game, one catch, zero yards. I mean, Hogan was useless. He's got to get off the field. To replace him, Denzel Mims, if we can get him back, it'd be huge. we got to get him healthy. But he's one of those guys that needs to come in there. And I'd personally, at this point, rather see Lawrence Cager, Josh Malone. I'd rather see, you know, if we could get big play Vince back, that would be great. He's a guy that we were sorely missing on this offense right now. You know, he's not a big name, but he's better than a guy like Chris Hogan. And he very well could be better than a guy like Denzel Mims or Brashad Perriman at this point. And then the other guy, Jamison Crowder. He starts the game extremely slow. He's got a horrible drop that everyone's just like, there's no chance that Jamison Crowder should ever drop this ball. It was right in his mitts. Nice, probably 15, 20-yard gain. Drops it, and we're thinking, like, nothing's going right. For the remainder of the game, Jamison Crowder, as the best receiver on the field for the Jets, gets the lion's share of the targets. 13 targets. He ends with seven receptions, 115 yards, with a 69-yarder on a screen pass that, when this offense couldn't get anything done, he provided a spark, an explosive play that the New York Jets typically do not get as an offense. In the last lifetime, they're not known for big, explosive plays. He gets that 69-yarder. Is he the fastest guy in the field? No. But he outran the defense and got the, got the score. And for that reason, Jameson Crowder this week is our offensive star of the week. It was difficult for me because of that early beginning. I mean, when the game started, end of the first quarter, you're thinking, Jameson Crowder is playing horribly. But by the end of the game, he gets the biggest play of the entire game, scores the lone uh, passing touchdown for the New York Jets, the only one that really mattered when the game was still, you know, somewhat hopefully in hand or possible to be uh, competed for. But anyways... Jameson Crowder finished 115 yards. When you look at it, 115 yards for Jameson Crowder and seven catches and a touchdown, it doesn't get much better than that for him from a yardage perspective, from a numbers perspective, just looking at it there. And then when you look at the offense, there's not a ton of other guys that just stand out as, well, this guy should be player of the game. So when you get 115 yards, the only touchdown for the wide receiver group, the lion's share of the catches, 16.4 yards per catch, and you outrun the entire Bills defense, yeah, you get player of the game. So Jameson Crowder... He's got to get better for sure, more consistent. But if he picks up where he left off in this Bills game, he'll be all right. And when you look at the tight ends, you know, West goes in there for a couple fullback plays. Ryan Griffin hardly on the field. Not enough two tight end sets. Please get Chris Hogan out. Put Ryan Griffin in. But then Chris Herndon. We've been so excited for Chris Herndon. Chris Herndon was a great rookie. Gets suspended for getting a DUI, driving 120 miles an hour, crashing a car. He's ready to come back. Pulls a hamstring. All right. Now we got to wait one, two weeks. The Adam Gase classic, oh, he should be back next week. It's like three, four weeks go by. Finally makes it on the field. Has maybe one catch. Pulls another hamstring, gets injured again. He's out for the season. We don't see Chris Herndon. Comes back this year. We're like, all right, that promising rookie year. Let's build off of it. He played like absolute crap in this game. He dropped balls that he could have caught. First drive of the game. Sliding, difficult catch for Chris Herndon. But he could catch it if he's, you know, in a rhythm 
feeling good. Not getting the ball. He finally does catch a ball. His blocking is a little suspect. He finally catches the ball when the Jets are making a comeback and fumbles it. They review it. Counts as a fumble. I mean, Chris Hernan, to come back after all the excitement that we had, he was the X factor. We're thinking to ourselves, we can't go outside on Tredavious White. we got to watch out for those guys. If we can work the middle of the field and get a Chris Herndon, that's our chance at success. And he gets six catches in this game for 37 yards, but how many of that in garbage time? The horrible fumble, the drop early on. I mean, this guy, he played like a backup tight end. He's got to be better. He is our doghouse player of the week on offense. On the entire team, he's a doghouse player. I think that it was as bad a performance as you could you could conceivably imagine happening for Chris Herndon. He's healthy. That's the good sign. So that's our receiving group. Uh, it was difficult for Sam Darnold to find those guys. When it came to running the ball, it wasn't much better. I'm having issues right now with Le'Veon Bell because I'm a huge Le'Veon Bell fan as a person. I want him to be great. I remember him on the Steelers being great. He says all the right things. He makes me laugh. He's very team-oriented. Says a lot of the right things in, in meetings and stuff, and you trust him with the microphone in his hand for the most part. And then he's been working out all season long. He's been boxing, shadow boxing in rooms and hitting bags, and he's been you know getting in the best shape of his life. We see him on one Jets drive. We see him all over in the media rooms. He's feeling better than he's ever felt before. This is amazing. Now with the new offensive line, we can finally get the Le'Veon Bell. He comes out and looks exactly like he did last year, maybe worse. He's slipping all over the field. He pulls a hamstring. The guy in the best shape of his life, feeling amazing, comes out and after running for 20 minutes, pulls a hamstring and is out for the next three games at least. He's now on IR for three games. They changed the IR rules with COVID this year so that you can actively be put on it and come back quicker than the usual six-week IR and all that. But Le'Veon Bell, I mean... It's just getting to the point where I don't know if he has it in him anymore because he comes out and he's fully healthy, feeling as good as he's felt, and it just looked the exact same. And it's been this way since the holdout. He wasn't getting yards. He had six carries for 14 yards in this game. Two receptions for 32. He did have that nice, deep 30-yard pass from Sam Darnold that was pretty. But you're watching this guy. He doesn't hit the holes, and it's crazy because Frank Gore comes onto the field, hits a hole, gets five or six yards, and you're like, now, there's a guy with some explosiveness. There's a guy who hits a hole. The guy's 37 years old, and Frank Gore is making Le'Veon Bell look slow. Frank Gore is in no way a fast running back. I mean, Le'Veon Bell stutters around in the backfield, slips, loses his footing, doesn't quite have the power, the speed, the acceleration anymore, and with that stuff gone, it just hasn't worked. And I'm still hoping that the offensive line clicks and creates big enough holes where he can have a successful statistical season, at least just to get some of the hatred off of it. But, uh... Yeah, it's ugly. He's on IR for the next three weeks. We won't see him again. Michael P. Ryan, I think he's going to be a big breath of fresh air when he gets healthy because he's our rookie drafted this year. Hasn't played for the Jets yet. We haven't seen him live. But if Frank Gore looks faster than Le'Veon Bell, I can't imagine how fast Michael P. Ryan's going to look on the field. I mean, we haven't had last year our backup running back was Bilal Powell coming back from an almost career-ending injury. I mean, we haven't had any speed in the running game in a long time. And don't tell me Trenton Cannon or Eli McGuire were fast because Trenton Cannon never played, and Eli McGuire was pretty slow. So it's just, it's been a long time, and uh, hopefully LaMichael Pirine can change stuff. The Jets also just picked up Kalen Balage back from, uh, I don't even think he was on a team. You remember Kalen Balage, the horrible Miami Dolphins running back that the Jets almost traded for, but then didn't end up going. It fell through. 
He's back coming to the New York Jets. So it's probably going to be a mixture of Frank Gore, Kalen Balage, and Josh Adams. I imagine Michael Pirine will not be brought back up this week. That's probably what the Kalen Balage addition tells me. But, you know, Kalen Balage, he's got to be off the team ASAP as soon as one of these guys gets healthy. And, you know, Josh Adams, we'll see what he can contribute. He looked okay in his snaps at the Jets. He's had a few over the last couple of years, and uh, he's always looked okay. So we'll see what he can do with a little bit more workload. Don't be surprised to see Adam Gase lean on Frank Gore pretty heavily next week, though. All right, so that's our running backs. We'll talk about the offensive line. The offensive line is the big, it's the big ticket for the Jets. Not just because we have the guy, the big ticket, but because that's what this whole thing is honestly about. And if you go to the podcast that I recorded a year ago, we talked about Joe Douglas and what the plan was, what the vision was, what this team was moving towards. It always, always started with the offensive line. We knew. We, can, we can't rebuild an entire team in one offseason and one draft. You can't get all your wide receivers, all your running backs, your cornerbacks, your edge rushers, your offensive line, all that. That was impossible. We want to be smart, financially responsible, not give out horrible contracts. But the one thing that has to change quickly is the offensive line. So Joe Douglas prioritizes it. We have five new starters opening day versus last year opening day versus the Bills. Alex Lewis is the only returning guy on that offensive line, but he didn't start until midway through the season last year when Kalecio Semele got, air quote, injured. So this week we got brand new. Left tackle, Mekhi Becton, the rookie, the big ticket. Guy everybody can't wait to see. He looks great, by the way. Next to him, Alex Lewis. In the middle, Connor, the McGovernator. We got Greg Van Roten at right guard, replacing Brian Winters, and then George Fant at right tackle. So you got a lot of new in there. You got a lot of excitement because new is different when your offensive line is as bad as the Jets was last year. It comes out. I think that the performance was better than what we've seen last year. It wasn't super sloppy. There weren't horrible holds. There weren't horrible penalties. Nobody got injured. I don't think it was clicking. It doesn't seem like a cohesive unit yet, but it does seem like we potentially have some pieces. If we're starting here with five new guys that haven't built any chemistry, any real communication between the guys so far, and if you're coming out week one in the same place that an entire season group from last year left off, I think you got to consider yourself pretty happy. And the big surprise in this whole group was Makai Becton, who actually... Pro Football Focus ranked 11 out of 32. I'm not sure if it was tackles or left tackles. But either way, even if it's just left tackles, that's top third of the league. And it's his first game ever against a good Buffalo Bills defense. I mean, he's going up against Jerry Hughes. It's That's a talented group over there. So for Mekhi Becton to start there as a rookie in his first game ever, he had a couple nice pancakes, a couple nice pushdowns, did have a penalty. But you got to be excited with what you see from Mekhi Becton. I think that he's on pace to be one of the better left tackles in the entire NFL. And that's what the goal, the dream, the hope was with the draft this year. And Joe Douglas is starting to move the right things in the right direction. It's not moving quick enough for the Jets to win games and for it to really show on the field in like a nice culmination of skill, talent, and ability. But it is the right parts of the team moving in the right direction. So that's our offense. We got our offensive start of the game, Jamison Crowder. We got our doghouse player of the week, Chris Herndon. And we got our new addition to the team, Kalen Balaj. Now we got to go over to the defensive side of the ball. But first, we will stop at 
Father Time, where my dad has written a nice, lengthy week one article submission little script here on the New York Jets and where we're at. So we'll see what my dad, Dave Burnham, has to say about the New York Jets this week as of today. Enter Joe Douglas, our new general manager charged with fixing the New York Jets, rebuilding the New York Jets. Yes, this is a rebuild in every sense of the word. Thankfully, the rebuild has begun, and I believe in Joe Douglas. He fixed the center position with Connor McGovern, drafted Mekhi Becton and Denzel Mims, and some others. And there are some good players on the team. With that in mind, this is how I'm going to watch the Jets play in 2020. I'm focusing on players, ones that are part of the rebuild and the future. Rookies Pirine, Mann, Becton, Mims, Zaniga, Davis, and young players like that. Bless Austin at cornerback, Chris Herndon at tight end, Quinnen, McGovern, maybe even George Fant, and Sam Darnold. There are others, but these are the ones worth mentioning. These guys are our new foundation, the first wave. If these guys are part of the problem this year, the Jets will be stuck. Picks and young players must be part of the solution. Watch these young players to see if they are a brick and mortar, our beginning of the solution. For example, this week, how will Mekhi Becton do against Nick Bosa? Or Quinn and Williams versus that of Solomon Thomas and Javon Kinlaw. Will Denzel Mims even play? Part of the solution or part of the problem? Last, please don't call for Sam's head. He's 23 and on a bad team. Any young quarterback would look bad on this team. The idea of a newly drafted rookie quarterback savior like Trevor Lawrence to replace Sam will be another wasted pick and another wasted talent. Watch our future this year. Keep an eye out for solutions to the New York Jets. Go Jets! And pray that Joe Douglas knows what he's doing. End scene. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack in that. I think that... uh, I read this earlier today, and on initial read, I was just like, it felt like I took a, a trip back to, I think it was the first year that I did this podcast, where I just preached for an entire season of the podcast that it would be considered an evaluation year. The goal of the season wasn't to be good, it wasn't to win games or this or that. The goal was to watch individual players, see them, and then see who's part of our future. Now, unfortunately, all of those players were drafted by uh, Mike McCagnan, and so you know 70% of them were absolute flops, and watching and evaluating didn't go as planned. We got a new guy, as he said, enter Joe Douglas. And the question is, can what he does, can what he drafts turn into a good football team on the field? Can he bring in the right guys? And it starts with who we mentioned, you know, man, Becton, Mims, Zuniga, Davis, all those players and so many more watching these young guys, because half of them we're going to move on from, but half of them, we need to hope that some of these guys are going to stick part of the solution. And if you leave this thing with a bunch of answers, you're in a pretty good shape. If you lose the, leave this season with a whole bunch of question marks, a bunch of holes and areas you got to address, backups, starters alike, you're going to be in a tough place. Rookies are cheap. Young players are cheap. Joe Douglas right now has money to spend, the ability to make this team better in specific areas or extend players that deserve it. But it all starts with the drafted players. And listen, it is a rebuilding year. My dad's absolutely right. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to be rebuilding. The division sucks. The Jets have been bad for so long. Sam Darnold's here. How could we be rebuilding? But you know what? At the end of the day, when you're trading your best player on your team in Jamal Adams for two first-round picks, you're saying to yourself, listen, we aren't trying to go for it this year. We're trying to build something in the future. 
It's clear as day. He's saying that. It's not about this year. There's a plan for the future. Build the offensive line. Draft a good team. Let's get this thing going. We don't know the rest of his plan per se right now. And I'll be honest, at times I believed in Mike McCagnin's plan. At times it was like he's got a plan. We got to see this thing go. And eventually you realize that the wheels are just spinning in place. You're not getting anywhere and the drafts aren't going well. But this whole thing will start to click and start to work if the draft is a success. And the draft will be a success if these players pan out and get good. So we do need to, at a very, we have to evaluate these players and they are the most important guys. My dad's absolutely right. So we're going to take a lot of time this season touching on those players specifically. And also, as he said, let's not call for Sam's head. Let's not act like you throw Trevor Lawrence on the Jets and this team starts winning games. Yeah, because Chris Hogan all of a sudden with with uh, Trevor Lawrence under center and Le'Veon Bell running for 1.2 yards per carry, Chris Hogan's getting open and finding these third and 15s and completing it and getting downfield. And it, it just, that's not happening. Yeah, Pierre Desir is going to learn how to cover because Trevor Lawrence is on the team. This team has holes, flaws. It's not going to win until stuff starts getting better. we got to rely on these young guys. I appreciate the father time. It was awesome. Thank you, Dad. And, uh, yeah, we're going to move over to a quick breakdown of the defense. But first, quick commercial. All right, let's talk D-line real quick. Defensive line, a big returning cast from last year. We got a bunch of guys here. Greg Williams loves to have eight, nine defensive linemen. This game was a mixture of, let me think here, we had Quinn and Williams, Nathan Shepard, Henry Anderson, Kyle Phillips, Jordan Willis, and Foley Fadakasi, Steve McClendon. That's our defensive line. A bunch of players. Um, not great output from really anybody. I think if you're looking at the defensive line, the one guy that stands out as having a nice, positive, impactful game would be Kyle Phillips. The undrafted guy from last year was one of our best defensive linemen last year, and he had a great, great game this game. I mean, he had a fumble recovery. He wasn't, like, attacking the quarterback and stuff, but for a, a role player rotational undrafted guy to come in and just two years in a row making an impact. It wasn't a fluke last year. He comes right back in week one, makes his present felt. You got to be upset about a guy like Henry Anderson because we signed him to a long deal, like three year, $27 million after he had a nice breakout seven, eight sack season, finally stayed healthy. And we're thinking to ourselves, all right, we've got a guy here who can get seven, eight sacks. This guy's not even flirting with that number right now. He's not getting after the quarterback. He's not winning his one-on-one matchups. And currently, right now, he's not worth the contract that he has. And he's taking up a spot where we hopefully would be getting some edge rush, some pressure. It's not happening there. Nathan Shepard overall had a pretty quiet game. Um, Steve McClendon was quiet. Foley Fadakasi had a nice play. But I think uh, Quinn and Williams was the real disappointment in this because similar to Le'Veon Bell, he was a guy that all offseason you heard talk about how he's getting thinner, he got his braces off, so he's a little lighter there. And he's talking about how he's ready to dominate players. I mean, he was our our big top five pick from last year. Supposed to be great. But, you know, he's a young guy. He's still a child. So let's let him learn the defense and get into it and come into this year better than ever. He struggled. He didn't get after the quarterback. When he finally did, he got a penalty. And uh, not a good start for Quinn Williams. He's got to start making an impact on this team. This is the year for him to step up. He's one of those guys that we're evaluating. As my dad said, I like his word this year. He's got to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. In week one, he was part of the problem. Moving over to the linebacking core. The linebackers are a, a freaking mess right now. CJ Mosley opt out. Patrick Onwasor on like four to five week 
IR. He's not going to be back for a little while. Avery Williamson, unable to play in week one here. So we start with Neville Hewitt and Blake Cashman because Burgess was cut. Hewitt's playing after like four plays or something. Blake Cashman gets injured out for the game. All right, so who are we going to put in there? Harvey Lange? Harvey Lange comes into the game, plays 95% of snaps, doesn't have a great game. He has a couple nice plays. It's nice to see him getting out, turning his head, and making a nice play on the ball um, on a deeper pass play. But other than that, I mean, the guy is pretty silent on the field. He's one of those guys that you're surprised how many snaps he plays with how little you hear his name. You're like, he's out there? Yeah, it's crazy. 95% of snaps, that's insane. Um, Neville Hewitt, it's just not a, it's not a strength for the Jets right now. Neville Hewitt and and Harvey Lange is not supposed to be your linebacking core. It's supposed to be C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson. And if not then, then Patrick Unwusor. And maybe someone's injured there, and Blake Cashman's your young guy that you drafted last year that maybe can step in. I mean, again, right back where we left off in 2019, the middle linebacking core is a mess. And we got to see them fix that group up. Outside linebackers... Terrell Basham, Frankie Louvu, Jordan Jenkins. Believe it or not, Basham had the highest snap count. Jenkins was only at about 36%, which surprised me. I thought he'd be a little higher. Uh, Frankie Louvu played about 24%. They basically had one of those guys on the field at all times. We had two safeties and three cornerbacks for, I'm pretty sure it was every single play except for one or two, were two safeties, three cornerbacks. So when you play a nickel like that, somebody comes off the field. In this case, it was the other outside linebacker, or you could say that Louvu came in and was that position. It's fluid the way your linebackers are rotating and and you're doing your different sets, but Jordan Jenkins didn't play a ton. We got no pressure from those guys. We did have a batted ball or two, but not a great game from the outside linebackers. No pass rush whatsoever. The only pass rush that we got brings us to our next section, the defensive backfield. We got a sack from Brian Poole, and we got two sacks from Marcus May. Marcus May, right now, is tied for the league lead in sacks. We're going to get to him in a minute. Cornerback play. You're starting two guys. You're starting LaShawn Austin outside. You're starting Pierre Desir. I mean, the way that you look at it on paper, Pierre Desir is the established veteran that we signed. LaShawn Austin's fighting for a job. You probably think Desir is your number one. Austin's your number two. By the time this game ends, you know for sure LaShawn Austin is your number one. Pierre Desir is probably your three or four outside cornerback. I think that Nate Hairston, who filled in for him, played just as badly as he did. But I think that when you look at a guy like Arthur Mollette or Quincy Wilson, sooner than later, one of those guys is going to touch the field and see if they can do something a little bit better than what we saw from Desir or Hairston because those performances from those two guys, not good. Bless Austin, on the other hand, the guy that we're evaluating, the young guy that actually matters for the Jets' future, he had a really nice game. It's nice to see that from him. He, uh, he came on late last year, coming back from an injury, and... He had a pretty good little run, and we're like, all right, well, what can we see from Bless Austin? Was it just lucky? It was just a couple games, but coming right back in here, he played physically. He made good plays on the ball. He looked like he should be out there playing against number two wide receivers. And there was a point where you never thought Blashawn Austin would be there. So I think we got to be really happy with his performance. Brian Poole in the slot, he was solid. He got his sack. Um, I trust Brian Poole. He had a couple mistakes, a couple lapses, but he's a good player. When you go to safety, Ashton Davis didn't really touch the field, the rookie. Um, it was a it was a May McDougald show. And McDougald was solid. He had a fumble recovery, and he had a nice pass breakup in the end zone. But May, I mean, he stepped right in and did exactly what Jamal Adams would do with some 
lighter hits in the hit department, and he did actually have like one missed sack that maybe Jamal Adams would have gotten. But let me just read this to you real quick, the stat line for Marcus May, because if you don't tell me that this is like identical to a Jamal Adams 2019 stat line, I'll tell you you're crazy. Ten tackles, seven of them are solo. Two sacks, two tackles for a loss, two pass deflections, two QB hits, and a forced fumble. If you, that's a Jamal Adams stat line right there. And I think it's so funny because Marcus May's never been considered that type of a guy. He's been your safety net safety back there, great range, makes plays on the ball, and can hit a guy when he has to. Definitely not afraid to do that. But you put him in that Jamal Adams role, and he's on pace for, you know, it's never going to happen, but he's on pace for 32 sacks right now. I mean, Jamal Adams, we were talking about if he could last year break the record for sacks for a safety in a season. I think it was like eight and a half or nine. And it was really important to him that he got his record for most sacks by a safety ever. Probably help him get paid more when that time came. Marcus May, how funny would it be if the year Jamal Adams is gone, Marcus May breaks the record that Jamal Adams couldn't break? I just think that'd be really ironic and funny. And uh, I think it just goes to show a little bit um, the ability that Greg Williams has to make players better on the field and put them in positions to succeed. I do think that Jamal Adams is a better player than May, and I think that he's an elite-level safety in the league. But I do think that Greg Williams truly understood how to use Jamal Adams and how to get the most out of him. And what you saw last year from Jamal Adams was him being used the right way in the right place and you know a defense that kind of pushes him to be great. So anyways, Marcus May, great game. He is our defensive star of the game, no question. With a line like that, after having a great camp and being the guy that's like, well, we don't have Adams, but we've still got May, and then May having a great camp, coming back healthy, and finding a way to play in this game where he was questionable at one point, and then to play like that, it was awesome. He's one of those guys you're evaluating. He's potentially part of the future. He's getting a little bit older, but I think that if he gets re-signed, he's one of those guys that you're happy to have out there. I loved the game from him. Bradley McDougald, solid, like I said, a couple good plays. And, um, yeah, overall, the defensive game wasn't great. We let Josh Allen throw 312 yards. We let him run. We got a couple opportunities to take the ball away. Um, we did get those forced fumbles and the fumble recoveries on him. But, you know, it wasn't a great defensive performance. They looked, as I said, flat. They looked not tired. But they looked, like, slow like, we don't have the most athletic defense in the world. And when you line up, like, Nathan Shepard with Foley Fadakasi and Kyle Phillips and Basham and Jane, you don't, you're not surprised that this team isn't running around the field fast. Um, I think one of the big issues in this game is that Pierre Desir played so poorly for the Jets, and you were hoping that he was going to be a number one or two cornerback for the Jets all season, and now it's looking like we don't have a very important part of our defense, one of our starting outside corners. So hopefully Bryce Hall the drafted wider, uh, drafted cornerback from Virginia, who's potentially going to be really good when he's healthy. He's kind of like in the same situation Blashawn Austin was in last year where he can't play at the beginning of the year, but maybe towards the end he's able to get on the field. And he's the guy that if he plays well, the Jets are going to be feeling a lot better about cornerback. So in the meantime, we got to go through the Hairston and Quincy Wilson and Arthur Mollett and Pierre Desir experiment, see who, which cream or which player rises to the top. Somebody's got to win it, right? Um, that's the defense. Moving over to special teams. Special teams was interesting. We have a, historically, especially with special teams coordinator, Brant Boyer, we are known for having a really good special teams. 
was ranked one of the top in the league last year, even with a bad kicker and with a punter who wasn't even resigned and, you know, not the most talented kick returners and punt returners in the league. Um, Barrios is very serviceable and gets the job done the right way, but it's not like he's a flashy, taken to the house, Andre Roberts style guy. He's just efficient. And uh, it was interesting to see what they would do in this week. A couple big takeaways from the special teams. One, Ashton Davis back there on kick returns with Josh Malone. Kind of a weird combo of guys. I was expecting it to be Barrios. I was expecting maybe one of the running backs like Josh Adams to be back there. But uh, Ashton Davis, the track star from California, he started uh, in the end zone, and he was getting a lot of the fair catches. He finally got an opportunity to take one out late in the game. It was about a yard or two deep in the end zone and just figured, you know, hey, let's get a little bit of this NFL under my belt. I haven't played it safety yet. Let's take it out. He gets about the 11-yard line, tries to hurdle a player, and flips over and almost gets injured. So it was not a great experiment for Ashton Davis on kick returns, but... It was the first one. He's nervous. He got his bell rung once, and sometimes it's a good like wake-up call. To, All right, welcome to the NFL. And next week, maybe he's got some of those jitters out. We'll see where he can go. Punt returning, Barrios. We didn't really force many punts in this game. Uh, looking up here, they punted one time. One single time. And so we didn't have a punt return because it was a fair catch. Barrios, fine job. He caught the ball. <clears throat> Punting, Braden Mann was up and down. He had one nice bomb early in the game where you're like, ooh, great leg. But he outkicked the coverage. The guys couldn't get there in time. Big return from Andre Roberts. That happened two or three times in this game. He had a couple bad punts, about like a 33-yarder in there. And it was like, all right, Braden Mann, we know he can be great, but he's got to get consistent. Otherwise, we're right back to where we were. And then kicking, believe it or not, somehow... Some way, the guy that went 19 for 27 on field goals last year, Sam Ficken, made it back, beat Brett Maher, who, I mean, I guess technically if you're playing against Brett Maher, you're probably going to win. He wins the starting kicking job. We don't bring in any real competition for Ficken. Wins the job probably by default. And he kicks two in this game. He kicks an, uh, an extra point, two extra points. He makes both of them, and he kicks a field goal. So he makes a 31-yarder. Five total points, two for two. And after being like, you know, 19 of 27 last year, he's one for one and trending in the right direction. So he is our special teams player of the week because he made all of his kicks and we all expected him probably to miss that one kick that he took. So it feels good. Finally, we got a kicker who was perfect on the season. We'll see how long this can keep up. Thicken gets week one special teams player of the week. So that's our special teams not much of a performance there. If you force punts and you score more, you get uh, you get more opportunities to get kickoff team out there. You get more opportunities to get your punt return team out there. And when you're not scoring and doing much, then you're just punting the ball and getting kick returns. Not exciting. All right. So that's what I've got for the team breakdown in this Buffalo Bills game. Obviously, we're not happy with the performance, but I think that there's still stuff to build off of. I think that if they can look good next week, I'm going to feel a lot better. I mean, they haven't lost next week yet. They're not 0-2. They're playing the 49ers, and gosh darn it, they can beat the 49ers. Not because the Jets are a better team than the 49ers, but because the 49ers are not playing well. They don't have Brandon Ayuk, their rookie draft pick. They don't have Debo Samuel. They potentially won't have George Kittle for this game. They don't have great cornerbacks or defensive backs on that team. Richard Sherman's getting old. Whatever. It's not like playing against Tredavious White. Maybe the Jets can get a receiver or somebody back healthy to help in there. The offensive line gets a little cohesion. It's going to be tough. When you're looking at it, 
against the 49ers, this is a game it's going to be tough to bounce back in because they are the NFC champions from last year. I mean, they're a good team. They're well-coached. And teams that are well-coached typically do well against the Adam Gase Jets. But when you look at it, they've got a great pass rush. We're going to have a great competition in Mekhi Becton versus Nick Bosa. I hope they're highlighting that matchup all game long. I want to see it. I want to know what it looks like. And I hope Mekhi Becton does well. If he doesn't, it's not a huge surprise because second game in the league and Nick Bosa's already one of the better guys at his position. But you've got other guys in the middle. Kinlaw, Thomas, Armstead. You know, they got a good defensive line there. And the Jets' offensive line is going to be tested. It might be tough to run the ball. It might be tough to get time in the pocket. But what the Jets need to do, what they didn't do this game against the Bills, is they need to work on timing throws, not screens. Talking about slants across the middle, Jameson Crowder to Chris Hogan if he's out there. Finding seams to Chris Herndon going up. But getting the ball out of Sam Darnold's hands quickly and getting a little bit of momentum and rhythm for the team. Maybe playing two tight end sets. Maybe getting the running backs more involved in the passing game. The Jets need to find ways to counter the pass rush of the 49ers because that's their biggest strength on defense. And they're a good defense, but it comes from that defensive front. And there are ways to beat it, though. There are ways to work around that to, you know, it's a chess match. They're going to have four guys pushing up, right? What can we do in potentially the running back screen game or quick passes or rollouts or designed runs up the middle on quarterback draws? What can we find to get creative, to get some yardage in this game so that we don't start out punting the ball the first four, five, six possessions, whatever it was last week? Defensively, the 49ers are kind of a mess. They've got a good offensive line. They've got a good running game. But when it comes down to it, most teams don't want to run against the New York Jets. The Bills ran the ball 32 times for 98 yards, 3.1 yards per carry. It really came from Josh Allen, quarterback running, stuff that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to do. Josh Allen had 14 carries for 57 yards and a touchdown. He was 4.1 yards per attempt. He was the most efficient running for that runner for them. Between Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, the two running backs, he had 18 carries, 41 yards, 3.3 and 1.2 yards per carry, respectively. The Jets had a great run defense last year, and even without the middle linebackers, they looked like they had a good one this year as well. They're starting off well, keeping a team under 100 yards. Now you go up against a team that wants to run the ball in the 49ers. They've got a good offensive line, and maybe we're not great at getting after the passer, but we are good at making our tackles at the line. So if we can stop their running game and put it in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands, they're going to have a much more creative game plan than we've got. They're going to do a lot more end-around swing passes, flea flickers, whatever you want to see. Kyle Shanahan's going to throw it at you. But without potentially George Kittle, with no Debo Samuel, with no Brandon Ayuk, if they're playing guys like Pettis and Kendrick Bourne as their main guys, these are people that it's a lot easier than stopping John Brown and stopping Stephon Diggs, right? It's a much easier matchup. Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't wowed me yet. I'd like to see what he can do. I'd like to see if we can make him a little bit uncomfortable, get a little bit of a pass rush, and not bite on trick plays and the creativity that we know Kyle Shanahan's going to have in this game. But if we can keep Sam Darnold upright and find a way to move the ball, you know, that's my big thing in this one is like, I think that we can do a pretty good job defending against the 49ers. I worry that we'll be able to score. Sam Darnold can't play the way that he did this last week. He's got to be better than that. And if he is, great. And if he's not, you know, we'll be <laughs> we'll be right here again. We'll be doing the exact same thing. We'll be talking about it. We'll be saying, what the heck is going on? 
Um, this is not an easy schedule for the New York Jets. We start off in a very difficult place. Uh, let me get it right in front of me here. When you talk about like, the first eight weeks of the season, right, you're looking at Bills, 49ers, Colts, Broncos. Then it goes Cardinals, Chargers, Bills, Chiefs, Patriots. So in the beginning, up until week 10, the first nine weeks of the season, the only games that you see on there that are like pretty winnable are Broncos, Chargers, hopefully the Colts. All the other teams are very, very good. And there's not some layup game in there. There's no Jaguars. There's no Bengals or Browns or Dolphins or a team that you're just like, I can't wait to play you know, the Washington football team because we can really exploit that defense. There's really not one that you're looking at and saying, this is where the offense is going to get it together. They're going to have to make it happen. They're going to have to find a way to change their game plan, to change the script, do something different, and play better football on both sides of the ball, but offense specifically. Because we've got a new O-line, we're evaluating Sam, we want him to be great. And, you know, it's just time. We have an offensive coach. This isn't the days of Todd Bowles and Rex Ryan anymore where you got a defensive coordinator and their head coach is focusing on the defense and the offense is kind of an afterthought as you rotate, shuffle through offensive coordinators. In this case, your head coach is an offensive guy, supposed to be a guru. I mean, for crying out loud, we got Dowell Loggins. It does don't even. We'll save that for another week. We'll talk about him. Um, it's just crazy that we don't have a quarterbacks coach, and Dowell Loggins is trying to juggle that position while being offensive coordinator. When you got a young quarterback in his third year, and all he needs is good coaching, and you can't even find a guy who's trained in doing just that in training uh, training a quarterback. You can't, you're going to like, oh, Dowell Loggins will double as the quarterback's coach, but even though his time is split with the offensive line and the running backs, you don't have a dedicated player or, or coach personnel to Sam Darnold's development. It just seems crazy to me, but if that's what the Jets are going to do, then <laughs> maybe they'll just sink this ship. We'll see what happens. we got a lot of football to go. we got 15 more weeks. I'll be doing podcasts every single week, trying to put them out Tuesday, um, maybe potentially if I get a little bit of in, uh, inspiration. I could put them out on Monday. But I watch a lot of Monday Night Football, and Mondays are usually crazy. So Tuesday's been my day. I'll keep putting them out there, though. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan. Engage with me, talk to me, whatever. I'm on there. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to doing this for another season. 2020, here we go. Hopefully the New York Jets get some wins, and we can we can try what this whole thing's like after a nice dominating victory. I'll make my prediction for the 49ers game right now. The Jets, I'm going to predict a loss, 20-13, to 13, 49ers. But I hope to be proven wrong. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. <laughs>